from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reepstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Dave Reepstein, and I'm joining you here, which I do every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we're on Sirius XM Channel 111, which we do every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we are also replayed throughout the week. Today, I'm joined in the studio with Adriana Oni, who is here from Indonesia. She's here for uh, Alumni Day weekend. Uh, which happened this past week. And, and in fact, I might as well mention that this happens to be uh, graduation and reunion weekend. And uh, it's always a great time to be on campus. Things are uh, are really beautiful. And uh, I get to see some former students, Adriana being one of them. Uh, and, and so that makes it very special. And then we also have this time when all the students graduate. And so they tend to be in a good mood. And uh, all their parents are here, so they're all on their best behavior. Campus looks just gorgeous. Every, everything seems to be in, in great shape. So it's a wonderful time to be here on campus. Uh, obviously, a lot of things going on around the world. Uh, we've got some negotiations going on with North Korea. That's nice. We also have uh, you know, the U.S. having uh, backed out of the uranium deal. And uh, and then we t- just today we had the Israel or actually I should say the United States moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. All three of those things will have an impact on the U.S. brand. That's obviously one of the things that I've been very concerned about and have done uh, work on. And it'll be interesting to see what impact it will be and how much of it is negative and how much of it is positive and. I think some of that is still to be determined. But we also have a good show today, and I want to get us into the show, and I'm very excited about today's show because we have with us today uh, Brett Werner, who happens to be the president of MWWPR. And we're going to have to find out about this firm because my suspicion is that they help other companies with their brands, but you don't know their brand. And so that's one of the things that we'll have to try and explore. At any time, you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-Z Radio 111. But let's get started with Brett. Brett Warner, welcome. Glad to have you on the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on. Um, First time that I've had a chance really to chat with you and delighted to have you with us. Uh, just to help me, give me uh, some of your background, and, and I'm sure our audience is going to be very interested in that. Absolutely, and David, it's great to be on an interesting show ahead of us. But yeah, my, my whole career has been on the agency side in the communications PR industry, um, working uh, with big consumer brands ranging from Microsoft to Under Armour um, to brands like Tyson, um, and title Jay-Z streaming service. But it's all been on the agency side. I started my career at a company called uh, Taylor, which was called Allen Taylor Communications at the time. And Allen Taylor was Muhammad Ali's personal publicist. And Whoa. he decided to start an agency. And uh, we bought the company from Allen, me and uh, six other people, and was there for 10 years. And then formulated my own agency called Catalyst. 
uh, that dealt a lot in, in consumer and pop culture. And then uh, my third year at MWWPR, which is a um, you know eight office global PR firm that deals in uh, public affairs and corporate communications um, and consumer, and, and all three of those things sort of come together in the environment we live in today. So PR to me seems to be a very, very interesting industry. Uh, because I would think it's one of the things that is harder to try and measure uh, because you go out and you just do your PR. And and one of the reasons it's, it's hard to measure is everything is sort of episodic. There's there's no you know, sort of repeated uh, events that happen. And, uh, and it, I think it's so different than just general communication. Uh, do you agree with me? Yeah, I do, and it's always been the uh, the Achilles heel of the industry. So we we all feel, at least quantitatively, that that PR is important. I have an impression or a perception about a political figure or a brand like Rolls Royce or an entertainer like uh, Madonna, but I've never met those individuals. I've probably never seen or seen very few ads about them, uh, but I have an opinion about them, and that's all been formulated from what I've read. Uh, from word of mouth. So we all know its value, but like you said, uh, I can't turn on uh, the TV at 8 o'clock on Tuesday and make sure I see about that brand. So it is episodic. It can't be planned. Um, so that's uh, the marketing industry is always say, well, how do I quantify that? How do I measure it? And until recently, th- that that has been harder to do, but uh, with the growth and birth of analytics, you know, getting to measure almost anything is so much easier than it once was when I started in this industry. So before I jump into the measurement, which I really do want to do, I want to get a sense of um, MWWPR and and get a, a sense of the spectrum of all of what it is you cover. Absolutely. So MWWPR has eight offices throughout Europe and the United States and uh we're celebrating our, our 31st year in existence, and it was uh, uh, it was birthed by Michael Kempner, our, our current CEO and founder, in, in uh, one person, one office in Jersey City, and have grown over the last uh, three decades. We're, we're an independent PR firm uh, where we could be working on uh, helping to evolve a brand like Atkins or Tyson. Uh, we could be working on a political issue in D.C., uh, or we'd be helping to, to birth a new brand that uh, maybe the consumers uh, have, have yet to hear about, and we're, we're helping to formulate that positioning. But it's all about what we call uh, earned worthy content. No matter what channel you, you hear about or see about it, uh, it's driven by earned. It's not paid. That's the differential for us than an ad agency. So develop that a little bit more for me. When you say earned, what does that really mean? It means that... We're either working with a, a reporter to help formulate a story. We're building out content on social media or through other digital channels that we're developing uh, and pushing out to the public. But it's not a paid spot that you're going to turn on NBC at 9 o'clock tonight and see. You're going to read it in your newspaper, hear it on your satellite radio, read about it through one of your social channels. Uh, but all of that takes formulation, content creation, and and working with people to create that. So that's interesting because that's one other aspect of what makes it so difficult to try and measure is it turns out you you don't have control of uh, uh, basically you're trying to get it uh, exposed, but you have very little control on that, unlike if you're buying ad time. 
And, and so you sort of are trying to create a story and then hope somebody picks it up, and I'm sure you target particular uh, media for that. Yeah, so we'll operate just like a, an ad agency is where we'll say, hey, this is the ideal publications that we want to be in. They, um, they index really high with our, our audience, and then we have to attempt to get into those publications. And, and you're right, we don't control it from a time standpoint. And I'll sort of argue that, hey, no one really controls the message that goes out anymore. We can put it out there, and then the public and the stakeholders sort of determine, hey, what do we think of this? Let's comment on it. Let's shape it. But uh, we don't control the timing like a traditional a pay-for-play uh, advertisement. So that's got to make it very, very difficult. Are, are there tricks to trying to get uh, your story covered? Um, I think there's, there's strategies and, and great tactics, too, of, of understanding how to, to integrate into a, a news cycle, uh, to put great creative behind it, um, to make it, quote, newsworthy. So that's all important. So we'll think day in and day out of how do we create a campaign that will get people talking again, the earned worthy discussion of we want people to be sitting at the water cooler and talking about an initiative we did or uh, a new piece of content that we pushed out. So that's all part of PR is how do we get people talking positively uh, about our brand? So can you think of any brands, by the way, that have had just uh, widespread sort of recognition with very little paid advertising? Uh, absolutely. While, while brands like Apple have made some historic ads, you know, they, they may be the most talked about brand in the world, you know, between people, business press, consumer press, they're, they're talked about all the time. I spent a large part of my career working on Microsoft, and I think Bill Gates early on uh, started to realize, hey, image is, is going to be important here, and we're going to invest in PR, uh, and that's going to probably take us a lot further than uh, paid advertising. Even Bill Gates's image has changed over the years immensely, too. So I think you find your tech companies tend to naturally gravitate to PR because they know things happen quickly, um, and they need to um, sort of pivot there. Uh, so tech companies have always relied heavily on PR and, and typically have either done very well with PR or felt the wrath of a negative PR push. So I wanna, I'm going to get to the negative of the PR push and then how you counter that. But I was just trying to think about companies that have done so well getting recognition with what I think is a little advertising. Would, would Tesla fall into that category? Yeah, Tesla would definitely fall into that category. Obviously, they have a, a thought leader as their executive. They're viewed as innovative, um, and thus they can't make a move without it sort of dominating the headlines, both positively and negatively. So uh, for a company their size, they have lots of eyeballs on them because they're no, – again, we could sort of put Tesla in that technology innovation category even though they make automobiles. No, that's right. And I would think they're one of the more recognized brands per dollar spent on media. And and so I think they would fall very heavily in there. I'll tell you another one that comes uh, right to my mind is Google, who um, and, and it will fall in your tech category as well because uh, for years they did no advertising, and yet everybody knew uh, knew of Google. Yep. And yeah, definitely certain, certain genres tend to, to get a little more coverage about technology. And the music industry seems to get a lot of earned and editorial coverage. Obviously, politicians are in the news a lot. And we've seen uh, candidates use PR to their advantage uh, to get elected. 
So, um, yeah, so, so we see a lot of that. Let me remind our audience that you're listening to Measure Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. And you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And we are currently speaking with uh, Brett Werner, who is the president of MWWPR. We're talking about non-paid media, which is uh, a fascinating area. I'm assuming that a large part of your clientele has also been, what do we do about crisis management when we get some negative PR and how we manage that? Yeah, there's in this day and age, you know, crisis happened faster and more frequently than ever before. And we sort of term this phrase called the the corpsumer approach. It's belief that uh, consumer PR, crisis PR, and public affairs has all come together. And no matter what you're doing, it's one tweet from Pennsylvania Avenue or comments by a bunch of key stakeholders, and, and you could have a crisis on your hands too. So uh, we we take all of our strategies and sort of take the consumer, the crisis, and the corporate together and, and prepare always one step ahead of what, what could go wrong here. Um, so, But things move much quicker than, than they would 10, 15 years ago. It's a completely different industry, and we've seen how crisis, if we look at what Nike is currently going through or, or many other brands, you know, can take a company to its knees pretty quickly. Yeah, those can be, you know, really have, a, as you were saying, a negative impact. So... I think the natural instinct by most businesses is to say nothing. When there's something negative that happens, just lay low. And uh, and actually, my sense is that most lawyers would advise to you know not acknowledge and and not confirm is the initial instinct. When how, at what stage should a firm say, "Oops, we got to react and and we need to be on there." Yep, yeah, and it, it's the is a key question, but but ducking and hoping usually isn't the ideal strategy, and um, um, and you have to sort of wait. Is you don't want to stir the story, but at some point, and it happens very quickly in this day and age, um, you, you do need to respond, and you need to understand who are your stakeholders uh, who can help put out a positive message. You know, third parties, maybe some of your big brand advocates too. Uh, but the truth is, if you wait too long, and we see this time and time again, when uh, brands and companies don't respond quick enough, the story gets out of there, out of control very quickly, especially in the day and age of social media. So uh, the crisis in, in the communications industry has, has never been more prevalent and so important to brands. So one example of that, I think, was a recent one that just happened here in Philadelphia with uh, an incident at a uh, Starbucks store where they ended up uh, calling the police to have a couple um, individuals that were not paying, not buying anything and were just hanging around in, uh, in the store. And the, the police came and they arrested him, and it got tons of news very, very quickly. And frankly, I think Starbucks, A, reacted instantaneously and the CEO himself flew to Philadelphia and was out there in the news. What was your sense about how they dealt with that? And was that handled by an agency like yours? Um, I I don't know who the agency involved uh, was um, with Starbucks, but but we go back to our earlier discussion. Starbucks is definitely one of those brands that gets lots of earned attention. Right. Um, They're viewed as an innovator. Uh, They they have sort of a strong 
a commitment to communities or at least that perception. I think they reacted uh, very well to that situation. Like you said, they had the executive team at the highest level involved on site. You saw their commitment immediately of, hey, we need to train our employees a little bit better and how they're going to close stores in the future to conduct that training. And then a good thing about a crisis is how they continue to follow up to showcase correcting the problem. They, I know recently they just announced that they're going to let all three, uh, free bathroom use of all of their locations. So they don't want to discriminate between customers and non-customers. And if you need to use the restroom in Starbucks, I know here in New York City that's always important, that they're willing to do that. So it's not only just the response, but what are you showcasing as how you're correcting it? Is it education? Is it empathy? Is it we're going to change a policy within the company? But they were quick to react to the whole situation. And I think that's part of the key is reacting quickly and and very, very decisively as they did. Um, but I'm sure you've got plenty of examples of ones that haven't uh, haven't done it that well, and it ended up sort of, you know, mushrooming and getting worse and worse for them. Yeah, there, there's always the answer. I mean, the, the, the Tylenol is sort of the, the case study that's discussed always way back when they, they right. had the incident with their product. So, um, and in this day and age, it's, it's so different of when they do go awry and how quickly they spread. But obviously, there there are companies that don't react well. Uh, but you never understand. I think the key is in a crisis of what's happening internally. How are the uh, how's the board reacting? Like you indicated, how's what's the legal team preventing you from saying or reacting? Um, and you have to make those decisions quickly. But it's usually the the internal dilemmas that are really influencing what the response is. So let me uh, let me shift our discussion a little bit and ask you, you've you've got this uh, integrated sort of process that you go through between research, analytics, and measurement, and I need to understand what that team does and how it sort of integrates together to deal with uh, some of the communication. Absolutely. So our, our research and insights team here at MWW is, is has a, an interesting mix. It has. Um, insights people that come from uh, an advertising background. We have analytics people that are are handling the, the measurement and, and ultimately how is all this earned effort changing any of the outcomes out there too. So more traditional people and more modern day people in, in a measurement department too. But like I said earlier, PR typically hasn't been able to measure, hey, are, are we impacting business? And, and that's changing too. But it takes a sort of a mix of skill sets from people from uh, maybe very qualitative and quantitative backgrounds. So what's the the analytics that you end up doing um, at, at your end to support that? Uh, the first step is how do we always, you know, standardize all the measurement? You know, we have eight offices. So we have to standardize all the information gathering. Uh, and then understand for, for each program, what is it objective? Are we trying to uh, raise brand awareness? Are we trying to drive people to more e-commerce destinations or are they buying retail uh, CPG product? And then if we can take all the data of here's all the earned discussion we're helping to spark and see if it correlates to whatever those business objectives are. Hey, when we talk about this in these channels, we tend to drive more people to e-commerce or drive more people to retail. But it's gathering the information, all the earned coverage that we generate and all the business uh, inputs from our our client partners and seeing where there is correlation between the two and 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 correlation between between what let me, let me get specific with me here 
Absolutely. So it could be a, a positive discussion in, in a daily newspaper and how that affects the business or conversely how a negative conversation uh, on a local TV station has impacted results too. So we're, we're trying to find those, those marriages uh, between the two. And what are the results that you're generally looking at? Uh, the results are obviously are how how do we have positive impact and, and what is it that's driving that? Is it certain types of conversations? Maybe it's conversations from certain uh, people or media that tend to drive more impact. But are, are you talking about sales, that we can see an impact in sales as the conversation changes or or, or, or likes that's, that's or what? Ul- that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal would be sales. It's not always that easy to make that linear of a decision. But we can definitely see traffic to social channels or to e-commerce destinations. Uh, we can always gauge tonality of a conversation. Um, so all, the ultimate goal is how can an earned discussion, how can we link it to a business transaction? That's the perfect goal that you'd love to, to create that correlation. So I, I'm sitting in here with uh, Adriani, who happens to work uh, very closely with a bunch of startups. And I know I've worked with a number of startups, and they generally say we don't have enough money to afford to buy any any advertising. But what we do want is we want some PR. Um, how do you make that case to them that it's going to be worth it, that they should be spending money on the PR with you as they're just a startup? Yeah, in that, that case, our objectives might be a little bit different. For them, we might need to just raise awareness with uh, potential investors because um, they need to raise capital to, to get out of the gate, and we may need to help raise them with just select groups. You know, if it's a maybe it's a product that just appeals to young men, and, and that's the audience we need to. So we think everyone needs PR. Uh, maybe it's just from an investor standpoint or a certain audience. It's just not to everyone at once. It depends where you are in your life cycle. But I, I want to hear the case of the, uh, why it's worth it. You're, you want yep. me to hire you, and I'm going to end up paying you guys, and uh, justify to me that it's going to be worthwhile. Yep, because I think in the tech industry, let's talk about that. To me, the word of mouth and momentum is is more valuable than ever. I, I remember... You know, the first time I heard about Twitter or being at South by Southwest and, and hearing about some of these upcoming tech companies, uh, that gets the momentum going for uh, investment. It talks about partnerships. It helps you on recruitment of talent, too. So that, that word of mouth and that momentum that an ad campaign really couldn't capture for an emerging brand uh, to me, is invaluable. And um, so, I, by the way, I don't know if you work with small businesses and, and startups. Um, actually, do you? We, we do. It, it depends on, on where they are in their life cycle. But we do have a, a strong tech division out in San Francisco that, that does a, a lot. Um, I know I've done a lot with uh, emerging companies. Uh, I helped launch ESPN.com, of all things, many, many years oh, ago. I did see that in your background. That had to be very exciting. Uh, to see that was. It was intriguing when we launched that. And if you're a small startup, how is it they go about paying you? Do I mean it's standard? We're going to charge you so much for per story that we get, or hire us uh, for the next few months, or give us some equity, or how is it? How is it you manage that? Yeah, it's usually a smaller retainer um, in in the tech industry. Um, they they do sometimes offer equity. 
which obviously has high upside and, and downside with it too. But um, it's not uncommon in the tech industry to, to, to pay in part cash, part equity. Uh, that's what I've experienced also when we've worked with uh, different ad agencies or, or, or different PR firms as well is, uh, is just that. Um, I'm trying to think about, you know, how we really demonstrate that it's worthwhile. And so I want to look at some of the, the metrics that you normally uh, gather and, and you look at. We were just talking about that. But you look at awareness and you do you go out and do this the measurement of awareness we we can so we may start with some basic metrics like how many impressions how many people did i did i reach basically um and then we could get more granular of of those people that audience how many were targeted to the audience i want and then we'll we'll use some basic um advertising metrics like cpm so if i reached uh, a million people, and it cost me X amount of dollars. What was the cost per thousand to reach them? So, uh, those are standard sort of um, output metrics. And then ultimately, we discussed earlier on the outcomes. How did all that awareness and impressions? Did it change anything? Did it drive more people to a website? Did it create more sales? Maybe we measure our brand awareness before and after the PR effort, and, and see if there was a shift. But you end up. Um charging that uh, that contingency that you have or that retainer, I guess I should say, before you even know what that outcome is. Uh, unlike paid media, with paid media, I'm going to, here's a check and here's how many people we're going to reach. Um, with you, as I understand it, here's a check for this month or this quarter. And I don't know whether or not you're going to be successful in getting any awareness or any likes or 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 any output measure so how do you how do you sort of deal with that yeah and it's it is part of the the risk and the reward of pr you know it, it's not guaranteed so uh, it can work against you obviously if you don't generate that positive coverage of course you could create waves and waves of positive attention and that's the benefit to me it's also a little bit more trusted communication because it's coming from a third party but um that is a little bit of the risk i can't turn on you know 200 million impressions guaranteed on a, on a sunday night when i want people to be aware of my uh restaurant my national restaurant chain for for monday the work day so that is the challenge with it too um and, and, and so a little who, bit of the risk well who takes on that risk do you take on that risk or does the client take on that risk well, we both do because we'll outline what the metrics of success are uh, in our agreements typically. And so we will have benchmarks to to hit. Um, and obviously their risk is they're dedicating dollars. They need awareness for their their brand. Our risk is if we don't deliver, you know, we're not going to have a client for the long term. And luckily we've had clients, many clients here for decades. So we continue to, to hit those benchmarks and reinvent it. So... Uh, there's more risk and reward in the equation than a standard ad buy. That's one of the advantages of working with some of these startups is if you get them going, they could be clients of yours for a long, long time. They uh, sure could. Let me remind our audience, you're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're currently speaking with uh, Brett Werner, who's the president of MWWPR. And if you want to give us a call, you can give us. Uh, you can call us at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me turn to what I think is going to be a sweet spot for you. 
Um, I'm trying to think about um, trying to deal with some negative publicity and how you would handle it. I'm, I'm thinking about it with respect to sports, which is a lot of your background. Uh, the NFL got criticized quite a bit for uh, some of the kneeling by some of its athletes. Um, what's your advice to the NFL of how to manage that? No, that's an interesting um an interesting one, and that the kneeling, that the downturn in in ratings, which they saw, even though they're at the top of the mountain when it comes to TV ratings, a downturn, and and also some of the issues off the field with, with some of their um, athletes. So that they really had a trifecta of issues. They sure did um, coming at once, and it's for an organization that has just been superbly run for a long, long time. But. I think you know one of their big challenges is just clarity on policy. In, in college sports, uh, teams, for instance, don't need to come out for the anthem. They they make that decision. So whatever their beliefs are, they can sort of um, they can hold those beliefs not in front of ninety thousand people in a stadium and a live national television audience. So just the the clarification on policy could um, could really change little things, but. I was amazed during the NFL season of how many how uh, people how many people were alienated. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who, and I was surprised when he said, "You know, I I can't watch football anymore because I find what they're doing on the field disrespectful." And I think a lot of Americans felt that um, it really divided uh, the public in in our country that's already a little frayed. But uh, it is a big challenge for the NFL. They've tended to navigate through these issues very well historically, and I think a clarification on policy uh, will be key there. Um, that's pretty much what they've been doing, don't you think? And and uh, I'm not sure that that's helped them yet. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult issue, but I think ultimately if you're not going to stand for the anthem, you, you may need to stay in the locker room, and, and that would alleviate a, a lot of the, the issues that the NFL has had. But um Definitely a difficult challenge for the league. I didn't want to throw you a softball, so I thought I'd throw that one at you <laughs> and, and, and see how you could deal with it. Um, since we, since that that uh, particular example happens to have uh, a political overtones with it, let me turn to politics, and that's how I started uh, today's program. Was talking about some of what's going on uh, politically. Um, what's your what's your stance, and how do you think about it with respect to CEOs who happen to take political positions, and how has that sort of affected firms? So I'm, I'm thinking, for example, like Tim Cook at Apple, having taken a political position on uh, on a few issues, and, and we've seen other CEOs doing that. Um, do is that a dangerous thing for companies to have happen? And and any thoughts on that? It definitely, because you, you're going to alienate a large portion of, of the country, most likely. But I think it, it's important that the brand knows um, truly who they are from a, a cultural standpoint. So I think Apple, you know, maybe Starbucks, we could put in that realm. A, a Google, like they they have the. Authority and the sort of the, the cultural permission to speak out and, and be opinionated, whereas a more conservative blue-collar brand would probably have a, a different set of issues too. So it's important to understand, you know, what what sort of latitude does your brand have, um, and that gives your CEO sort of a runway to can he or she comment on a certain issue. But understanding how you're viewed, to me, if, if Apple didn't 
comment on some of these issues, they could have backlash. So just different, they're perceived differently in the marketplace. So do you think that would, I mean, I would think in most cases that's going to hurt the company's sales. Just to know that this is a company that stands on either the left or the right. And, you know, wherever I'm standing, if they're not with me, I'm going to be less likely to be buying their products. It's interesting. We I talked a little bit earlier about the corpsumer approach, this intersection of corporate PR, consumer PR, and public affairs. And, and we did a study uh, about a year ago, and we found there are about 100 million Americans out there that um, the way the company portrays its values, how it acts, determines if they will buy not only buy a product, they're willing to pay more for a product, and they'll support that brand in times of crisis. So. Um, my guess is that corpsumers probably gravitate to Apple very strongly. They expect them uh, to do the right thing in their view, to have opinions on society, um, to you know make this our culture a, a better place. And they're willing to, to stand up and pay a little bit more for the brand and, and defend them if, if they make the wrong turn. So um, as much as you could alienate an audience, there's a certain group out there, and it's a large portion. I said it's about 100 million people that expect you to be vocal on issues. Well, so your advice would be that you need to be outspoken. Um, but what I also heard was that's only true for certain types of companies. Yep. So You need to understand who you are, what, who is your brand and, and, and truly the DNA of it. And then it, it sort of says how much latitude do I truly have here? Uh, not how you know, it could be your DNA is uh, highly aligned with either the right or the left. Um, and you need to be consistent with that. But I'm wondering, you know, I didn't think necessarily that Apple per se was aligned, you know, on on either side. But um, their CEO came out pretty strongly in that. And, and so they ended up becoming aligned. And I would think, as I say, run some risk of losing some customers. No doubt. But I, I think it's a brand known for innovation. I think Tim Cook and his predecessor, obviously, are viewed as pioneers and as the most valued company in the world. You know, they probably can can they have a lot of latitude, I'd say. Yeah, yeah well, Apple certainly does have a lot of latitude, uh, and there's no question about that. Uh, let me have a sense, by the way, of um, of where you're taking the firm. What's going to be next for MWWPR? Uh, Absolutely. So uh, we are. Betting big on, on analytics as a whole, we think measurement has, has come to, to new heights here, um, and we can truly see you know, how earned conversation is, is impacting things, and we want to continue to evolve that. Um, digital is still a huge part of our growth story, uh, that people want more content. Um, they, they, agencies and brands want to understand how to navigate the new social landscape, so that's been a gro- big growth period. And even though earned communications is the heart of our business, uh, we're seeing paid uh, actually trickle into our business now. So a a great story appears about a brand. We amplify that with paid now. So it's sort of the the reverse model of, hey, is a great earned conversation out there and can paid get behind it. So we're actually getting into the paid business a little bit ourselves. Um, and that's been a big sort of growth engine for us. Well, that, so digital, that's paid, big. and analytics. Yeah, that's a big transition for you guys. It's definitely a shift, and uh, but to to us, uh, sort of the day and age of, of creating the 30-second spot, 
put it on traditional channels and, and hoping that people react is is still prevalent, but it's not really modern communications. And uh, there could be an influencer in Idaho that's writing about something that we want to amplify. There could be a great story that was written about one of our, our client partners, and we want paid to get behind that too. So a new area for us that we birthed a couple years ago, but it's doing quite well. Okay. Well, good luck with that. It sounds like it's going to be very interesting, and I, there's no way we can get around it. I think um, I, I think PR is important, has been important, and will probably even grow more so in important because it's something that's trusted more uh, than paid advertising. So good luck, and thank you very much for joining us uh, today. I, I urge the audience to please do stay with us. We're going to need to take a short break. When we get back, I'm going to take your calls on anything related to marketing, branding, metrics during our last 15, 20 minutes of the program. If you want to join the conversation, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or send us an email at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. This is uh, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 111. 